Hey y'all, welcome to Life Not Wasted, a podcast hosted by Amanda Hill and Molly Eiler. We're two friends from Texas who got sober in our 20s and are now trying to figure life out in our 30s. So grab your booze-free beverage of choice and join us each week for candid conversations about sobriety, spirituality, and how to live a life not wasted. Hello, welcome to another episode of Life Not Wasted. Um, I am one of your hosts, Amanda Hill, and I am joined by our other host, Ms. Molly Eiler. And today we were talking about sponsorship and thought it would be a really interesting topic for one of our first few episodes of Life Not Wasted, since sponsorship is such a huge component in how we were able to find a recovery program that worked um, and really move through our recovery in whatever addiction you know we're, we're facing um, at the time, whether it's alcohol or codependence um, or whatever program we're working. Um, but we found that sponsorship is such a huge component of that. Um, and so I thought it would be an awesome topic for one of our episodes. Um, and so Molly, I would love to ask you about your experience finding your sponsor, because I know that, you know, I've talked to a few girls on Instagram lately since a a podcast episode that I was a guest on aired, um, last month. And a lot of people are, are like, that's, I mean, that's a great idea. I love the idea of having a sponsor and having a guide through this whole thing, but where the heck do you find a sponsor and how do you know if a sponsor is a good fit? Um, and I think we, you know, there's no playbook of this, not this, this, not this, but I think hearing about other personal experience can be really helpful. So I would love to know Molly about like how you found a sponsor that worked for you and kind of when in your sobriety, were you, did you feel strong enough to say, yep. I'm ready to work this program. I want to have sponsorship and I'm ready to take the suggestions of a sponsor. That's a great topic. And those are really great questions. Um, For me, it was pretty early on and I felt like I needed to get a sponsor pretty quickly because that's what everyone kept saying. Um, like find Everyone a sponsor, in find the meeting you in went the to? Meetings, yes. Okay. So they would be like, find a sponsor, find a sponsor. And Um, I was like, okay, but what do you like, what do you do? Is there a list? I don't know. So my, I was told to attend a newcomer meeting, which was great advice. Um, Newcomer meetings typically have two kinds of people in them, people early on in their sobriety and people with a lot of sobriety. And they are a great resource for people who are new to the program. You can get a lot of your questions answered there, things like that. So I went to a newcomer meeting and the guy who was chairing the newcomer meeting actually said, if you're looking for a sponsor, raise your hand. And I was one of the only women in the meeting. And there's something that may be unique to our program. I think is pretty common with lots of programs is men sponsor men and women sponsor women. So I could not have a male sponsor. And uh, there weren't a lot of women in the meeting looking to be sponsors. And he said, actually, he found me after the meeting and he said, my girlfriend is looking for sponsees and she would be a great sponsor for you. And I was like, okay. So we texted and, uh, figured out a time to meet. And it was pretty quick after my first few meetings, I would say within the first, I mean, the timeline's a little fuzzy, but I would say within the first two weeks I had a sponsor and 
what I didn't realize going into it is every, there's no like curriculum for sponsors to follow aside from the book and our literature. And so it was, every sponsor kind of does things differently and that's okay. Um, What's hard about that for people like me is two things. Number one, it's hard for me to ask for help. And so asking for help from a sponsor was a really big leap for me. Um, I kind of was like, oh, I can read this book by myself. Like, I don't need to read this with anybody else. Um, But I'm glad I did because it made me a lot more reflective. It was almost like a book club um, of two. The other thing that's hard is I'm so bad at confrontation and I'm, I don't like people to be upset with me. I'm very much a people pleaser and I'm an Enneagram too, if anyone relates to that, but I hate it when I think people are upset with me or I feel like I'm letting people down. And that first sponsor relationship was not the right long-term sponsor relationship for me. We went through the steps together and that was great. Thinking about it, I wish she had pushed me a little bit harder. I wish, I feel like she was a little easy on me um, with some of the steps and some of the step work. Um, I wish I had had a sponsor that was a little bit more harsh, maybe not harsh, um, a little bit more on top of me and wasn't like letting me get away with stuff. So we, we did, um, and our sponsor sponsee relationship pretty quickly after I worked the steps and how long, just for reference, how long yeah, did that take? Well, that's a great question. Eight or nine months okay. around that. Um, she did come to at our, at my home group. Um, they do birthday night every month. There's, it's a pretty large group. And every month, if you have like an, uh, sober anniversary and you can come, you can come pick up your chip. She did come to my like one year pick up my chip meeting. Um, pretty sure that's the last time I saw her or mm-hmm. spoke to her. Um, that said, I'm so grateful for her service and what she did for me because had I not gone through the steps with her, I don't think I would have been able to do them as fully on my own. I really needed that guidance. And, um, it taught me a lot about what I wanted to be like as a sponsor and what I want my relationship with my sponsees to be like. So that was kind of my first experience. What was yours like, Amanda? As a little intermission before I share this, I'm not sure what order we're going to release these episodes in. And so just in case we haven't released an, an episode that is explanatory, Um, when Molly says meeting, she's talking about a 12 step meeting. Um, when she says book, she's talking about the basic text of the 12 step meeting and program that we personally attend, but it can be whatever, you know, every, every program that's blank anonymous, you know, whether it's cocaine, anonymous, codependent, anonymous, gambling, anonymous, um, they all have basic text that kind of outlines the program that those meetings are associated with. So when Molly says book, she's talking about the basic text of the program that she was working at the time. And my home group is where I attend the most meetings. So there's tons of different groups that 
facilitate meetings and that host meetings and your home group is kind of where you default. It's like your home base. Um, I, yeah. you're certainly allowed to go to other meetings and you don't have to like register at a home group or anything. Some, do, some allow you to register so you can be part of communication and things like that. But, um, my home group is, you know, if I were to just pick up and go to a meeting, that's where I would go. Um, and it's where my people are. Love it. Totally. Um, that, no, that's a good, that's a good clarification. Um, I think those are the main, the main three yeah. that I was thinking would be helpful for any new person that, that might not know what we're talking about. Um, but for me, so I, um, I went to my first meeting. It was also a newcomers meeting just because that's what I found on Google. Um, I was like, well, I'm new and I'm young. So I'm going to go to a newcomer and a young person's meeting since our particular 12 step group, we're really lucky that there are so many meetings mm -hmm. that they can diversify them to like, this is an LGBTQ supportive meeting. This is a men's women's newcomer, um, you know, book study, book study, speaker meeting, speaker. Yeah all the things they basically diversify the meetings or segment the meetings based on the primary characteristic of the meeting that someone might be looking for. So I was looking for young people because I got sober when I was 25. And so there was, I, I Googled on, um, I think a Sunday and that Monday was my first meeting and it was a newcomer and a young person's meeting. And so when I went in, um, I had a lot of people that were really kind and, you know, saying they would sponsor me, but there was one girl that I had gone to high school with, and she was actually a year younger than me, but had had, she has a few years on me in sobriety. Um, and so she was like, you know, I, I would happily be your temporary sponsor. And that was huge for me because it wasn't, she allowed me the, the, the word temporary allowed yeah. me to still feel like I wasn't like tying, tying my, myself to this wagon that I was like, I have no <laughs> idea if this is, I don't know if she's working a program. Well, I don't know if she's healthy. I don't know if she's, you know, like you're, you're getting guidance from this person. So it's kind of like a therapist where you're like, you kind of need to know that they're recommended right. um, or that you'll work well together. And so when this girl was like, I'll be your temporary sponsor, let's go grab coffee and talk that was a huge gift for me because it allowed me to start feeling out what would a sponsorship relationship be like without feeling like I was really committed. Um, and so we ended up working a few steps, like one, two, and three there, like at coffee. Um, but then as I was kind of networking throughout, like just going to any coffee and lunch and meeting and just trying to meet as many people that were living this way of life as possible. Um, I actually found a, a friend's sponsor's friend. So it was like <laughs> multiple layers down. Um, it was recommended to me, but the woman who recommended her to me was like, she's got this big infectious laugh. And I was like, I love that. Like I, I'm drawn to that. And, um, so I, I met with this woman and instantly loved the way she spoke about her own recovery. I loved that her, um, I think now husband was not sober mm -hmm. and it, she wasn't scared of alcohol. Like she wasn't like, I never go to bars. She was like, well, when you're doing, when you've worked this program well, and you have a spiritual 
relationship with a higher power, like you don't need to fear alcohol. You can go to bars if there's a good reason to be there. You can go to parties and you can date people who aren't sober. And that was really reassuring to me because no one in my life was sober. I was like, am I going to have to get all new friends and only date sober kids? And what's this going to look like? Um, And so I was really drawn to the fact that she had been sober for a while, I think like five or six years at that point. Um, She was honest, but kind, Mm -hmm. you know, she wasn't scared to tell me what I was doing wrong or, you know, tell me if you really want change, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. But all the while she was telling me things like when, when we do an inventory, which is going to be later in your steps, I was terrified to share with her what I had done and what I had thought. And, you know, you're, you're supposed to be kind of bearing your soul with this person. And she was like, listen, I have sat down with someone for this inventory and they've confessed to murder. Mm-hmm. Nothing you do is going to shock me, and nothing right. you say is going to make me think less of you. And I was like, uh, this huge sigh of relief of like, okay, I can trust this person. Yeah, she's not going to sit there and say, oh, that's not that bad. She's going to say, no, you need to get your shit together. Right. But she's going to be kind and understanding and stick with me. And that's what I wanted in a sponsor was like, kind of like a sobriety mom. Yeah, to, to walk alongside me and say like what you, what you've done is not okay, but what you're doing is exactly right. Like you are on the right path. You are taking direction from people. You are cleaning up your side of the street and that's exactly what you need to be doing. Um, and so I, I worked with her. We never went to the same meeting. I know that Mm -hmm. some people like sponsors who go to the same meeting that they do. I personally just kind of like my meeting to be my own space and have a sponsor relationship be different than that. Yeah. Um, but I know people that most of the people in my home group all sponsor each other. It's mostly men. And so it's like, yeah. I can see the lineage of sponsorship um, uh-huh. and, and that works for them and great. Um, but my, my sponsor knows everyone in my home group, but doesn't go there. And so um, that works for me. But I've, I was thinking about it the other day. I think I've had five sponsors in five years and some of them have been like a week. Mm -hmm. You know, that first sponsor was probably three days. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you'll find it. I wouldn't be scared, especially once you've worked the steps to change sponsorship. If, if you've found someone who like genuinely you think is going to be a better fit you know yeah and that's because- it that's a great point because I feel like my first sponsor I had never seen her in a meeting I had never heard her share in a meeting and that was really I mean it was what I needed at the time to just get me through the steps but if I were doing it again um I might have gone to a few more meetings and, mm-hmm. and listened to one of the things that someone said to me early on was listen for the people who have what you want. Listen for the people who, when they share in a meeting, they have this type of sobriety you want. And it sounds like that's what you found, like someone who could live a life without fear of alcohol, who, you know, kept their normal friends and spouse and all that kind of things that they didn't live this like sheltered life that was all consumed by 
alcoholics and alcoholism. Um, and, you know, I think that listening for what you want is really key. And I, I sometimes I wish I had, I mean, obviously I can't do anything to change what happened. It got me sober. It kept me sober. I'm great. But maybe next time, if there should not be a next time, um, <laughs> but if, if I were advising someone new, if you can go to like three or four meetings and listen for people and hear like what they're sharing and someone who has an attitude that aligns with yours and who seems to like share things that you're, you really resonate with. And then just approach that person and say, Hey, I really love what you shared in the meeting. I'm wondering if you're taking any sponsees right now, or if you would be interested in temporarily sponsoring me and they, if they're not interested in sponsoring you, they might know someone who is similar to them, or they might direct you to another person or, um, you know, I just think that that also that, that vulnerability of asking someone is so powerful of just saying like, Hey, it's the action of saying, Hey, I need help. And I feel like you could help me. Are you interested? And that question is so valuable to ask. And also really scary. Terrifying. Yep. I was so scared. <laughs> I was like, what if they say no? Or, yeah. you know, and, and I, you've, as you get more time under your belt, you realize that, you know, a lot of people have sponsors that they've been with for years and years and years, and they mm-hmm. love them. And, you know, it works out perfectly. And there are a lot of people that have to change sponsors a few times and, you know, or a sponsor moves. And they mm-hmm. want someone who's in the city with them. And so they have to change. And um, it, it's it's for as long as it's helpful to you. And as long as you're still getting the sobriety and the relationship that you need out of it. Um, because there, there have been sometimes in my sobriety where I needed a sponsor that was more like laissez-faire, like Mm-hmm. Uh, do what you want. Don't go to meetings, go to meetings. I don't care. Just let's talk every few weeks. And then there have been times when I kind of like you said in the beginning where I've needed someone who was kind of keeping me accountable mm-hmm. because I was wanting to slack off. And I knew deep down that I was slacking off because I wanted to drink again or right. because it, because it, it, I wasn't coasting because I was happy and doing really well. Right. You're avoiding. Exactly. I was, I was avoiding and I needed people who were going to call me on that. Um, so, so I have a question about that. What, it, so we're both about year five and a half, almost, I'm almost five years into this. Mm-hmm. What does your relationship with your sponsor look like today? Because I don't know about you, but my, not only is my sponsor a completely different person, um, but my relationship with my sponsor is very different from those first, you know, six to nine months of sobriety and like what I needed at that point. So today on a daily or weekly or monthly basis, what is your relationship with your sponsor like? Yeah. So, um, that, that's a really good question. So I, um, am blessed with a really great support system of sober friends and my home group and my husband. And so I have never needed to call my sponsor that I have right now in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. or, you know, 
in, in dire straits, they like take me to the hospital or I'm about to drink, come get me or anything like, you know, the, something I might've been capable of in the first, maybe 60 to 90 days of sobriety. Right. Um, but today I have a sponsor that was recommended by one of the guys in my home group. And we meet over zoom after our home group that we both go to 7am meetings. Mm-hmm. And so at like eight ten every other week, we hop on zoom or we FaceTime and we just chat for like 45 minutes. And, okay. um, some, you know, when we first started working together, we started kind of working the steps and then life got in the way. And I ended up just needing someone to actually talk to, like I needed yeah. to go over, I was feeling, you know, I was getting married in September and I had a lot of resentments and feelings about being a COVID bride and mm-hmm. having all of my plans completely upended and having family members who were being reckless about boundaries with other people and then trying to come around us and come around other people that were vital to the wedding. And it was, um, it was a lot that I could have been angry about. And so we transitioned from actively working the steps, um, to just debriefing and Mm -hmm. chatting, um, every so often, because I found that I needed a balance point where I needed someone to say that sucks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now get over it. Right. You know, like I'm here with you. I see you, I get it. And now what are we going to do to move past it? What, what action are you going to take to get yourself out of this? Um, and she's been extremely helpful in that. Yeah. Like she's she's very, she's more similar to the first sponsor I had that took me through the 12 steps who I could talk about for hours. Like she was just such a badass. Um, and she's more similar to that first sponsor. What I really loved about that first sponsor. So I feel very, very grateful to have her yeah. um, as a sponsor, but it's not like, I'm not, I don't take up a bunch of her time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's a commitment, but, um, I don't think I, you know, cause her stress or I'm a huge obligation to her. Right. Um, and, and that was, I think I've worked really hard to get there, to mm-hmm. get so stable that I know I can go to my higher power or go to my friends and go to my family instead of just kind of dumping it all on one person it allows right. me to um actually have a productive conversation with her instead of just talking at her yes if that makes any sense totally um and it's it's been really wonderful we started working together right before covid hit and so most of our interactions have been on zoom or on facetime but um she's just real and funny and um doesn't let me get away with shit yeah but she's also a very empathetic person. And that's a perfect blend. For yeah, me. totally. What about you? Um, my sponsor and I started working together in during COVID. And so the first few times we talked, um, we talked on the phone and FaceTime. So that was, it's just an interesting way to kind of develop yeah. that relationship. Um, we don't talk every day. Um, she does have me text her every night, a list of five things I'm grateful for that day. So a little quick gratitude list. 
Yeah. Um, I'm not so great at that, at remembering to do that. So sometimes I'll be like, oops, here's my list for the past four days. Um, but it's something that I've like put into place with my sponsee. And so when, when my sponsee texts me hers, she's way more on top of it than I am. My sponsee texts me hers. I'm like, Oh, I have to text my gratitude list to my sponsor. Um, but same thing, like she's just so accepting and empathetic and, but also willing to be like, why are you ruminating on this still? And it's just very helpful. Sometimes I, I'll just text her in the middle of the day because she knows she knows like my work situation with my coworkers or my friends or my family. And she knows all these things that are like bugging me that that kind of continue to be on my list of irritations and resentments. And so she'll I'll, it's nice to just have a person that's not involved, but that I can text during the day and be like, oh, so and so is really driving me crazy today because of blah, blah, blah. And then it's just like gone. It's out. And she sometimes doesn't respond and I don't need her to respond all the time. And she, you know, it's, it's easy. Um, we don't necessarily have like a set schedule for when we meet or talk or whatever, but, um, I know she's always there, which is really nice. The interesting thing. So I recently in COVID in, I think it was March or April, I started working with a, no, it was after that. May. Um, I started working with a sponsee and, um, she, it was interesting the way it kind of developed. She texted me out of the blue and she said, Hey, I heard you speak in March at a speaker meeting before COVID hit. I said, I really liked what you had to say. And I asked for your phone number and you gave me your phone number to see if I just, if I could call you. And she's like, I never did, but I need a new sponsor. And I'm wondering if you would sponsor me. And so I, I obviously I was like, sure, I'd be happy to chat with you. Like, let's get on the phone. So we talked and it's interesting because she was very new to the program at that point. And I would ask her a question. I'd be like, hey, how's your week been? Like, how are you doing? And she would want to like reciprocate and ask me those questions. And something you brought up in the beginning is like boundaries with sponsors and things like that. And it was so hard for me as a sponsor when I was sponsoring someone else to not make it about me. And that's something that my, my sponsor does really well is she really focuses on me and like my issues. And that's my time. It's a, it's hard because it is a very one-sided relationship and that's not really what we're trained to as individuals and in, in like interpersonal relationships, we're not trained really to have one-sided relationships. We are, my parents instilled in me, like if someone asks you how you're doing, respond and ask them how they're doing, listen intently and like, you know, have that dialogue. And the sponsor sponsee relationship to me is super one-sided and it, but it works. When I'm talking with my sponsee, it is about her, it is her time. It is not about me. It is, I, I mean, I will work with her and I will share some experiences that I've had that may be beneficial to her. Or if she asks like, what do you think I should do? I will tell her my opinion, but it's really like about her and what she's going through, her things, her work, her steps, her sobriety. It is not my time to like unload on her what's going on with me. That my, that's what I have my sponsor for. 
And, um, my sponsor has really modeled that well of like, when we're together, it's, she, she really puts the focus on me and asks me what is going on in like all aspects of my life and, and really allows me that time to just like focus on myself. It's sort of like a therapist, but not because my therapist, I mean, I love her and she probably would do this. She would be like, what are you thinking? Um, but that's because we've been together for my therapist and I've been together for like, oh my God, five years because we, <laughs> I started seeing her before I got sober. So I've known her a long time. She can never quit. Um, <laughs> but my therapist now after five years will be like, Molly, what are you thinking? What's wrong? Like, come on now. And my, my sponsor, my sponsor will do the same thing. And, but most therapists will be like, hmm. and I can say this as a therapist, I would very rarely say to a client, what's wrong with you? Yeah. What do you, you know? So it's, it's, it's like a therapy relationship in that it is really one-sided, but it's, to me, it's more honest and confrontational than yeah. a, a, in a loving way, right? Like confrontation sounds so negative, but when we as addicts and alcoholics are used to manipulating and lying and kind of skirting the rules, we need that confrontation in a loving way to check our motives and to really keep ourselves in line. And I feel like that's what a sponsor does. Absolutely. I'm, I'm actually kind of dizzy right now because I just shook my head so much at what you were saying. I was like, yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. Because we really do need someone to, um, to kind of kick our butt when we need it, but in a lot. Yeah. And cause I mean, for me, I would, I'm really, I, I was very honest with my new sponsor because the thing about getting a new sponsor later in sobriety, we did no, not go back through the steps. Um, we started to, and then, you know, life hit and grad school and work and all of the things. And so we kind of put a pause on it, but I didn't do my fourth and fifth step with this sponsor. So she hasn't been the one that's heard me bear my soul and all those things. So she's maybe not as attuned to all of my character defects as that first sponsor was. That said, she can, she has been sober long enough. She, like us, got sober in her mid twenties. She's now in her forties. So she has 20 plus years of sobriety, which I'm just like, Yes, goals. <laughs> um, she's awesome. And she is very aware of like what to listen to in my patterns. And she knows how quickly I can slip into self-pity um, because I really can. And she will be like, no, how's the pity party today? What are you serving? You know, like she'll say yeah. that to me. She'll be like, what kind of beverages are you serving at this pity party today, Molly? And I'm like, gosh, <laughs> Yes. That's your number. She totally does, but you need that. Right. And I think that part of that is why this is sort of taking a slight left turn, but why people avoid sponsors, people can avoid sponsors and avoid getting sponsors because they don't like to see that part of themselves being revealed to them by another human. Right. But when you do that, which like fair, it's not comfortable. It's not fun. 
But when you do that, it's super risky because who else is holding you accountable at that point? Right. If you're not in a sober living or you're not under care of a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist or a rehab and you don't have a sponsor, like you're a feather floating in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just thinking about when you said people avoid sponsors. I heard some like horror stories of sponsorship gone wrong when I first started and it kind of freaked me out. Um, obviously you've gotten <laughs> didn't scare me off too much because I'm I'm sitting here five years sober. But um, did you have any experiences within kind of your sponsor sponsee relationship that um didn't go the way you wanted it to or you know went poorly? Yeah. Um I had a sponsor. I really enjoyed, but I think it wasn't the right time for us. I really enjoyed her as a friend, but I don't think it was the right time for us to be in a sponsor sponsee relationship. And, um, she was very involved in a church whose theology I didn't really align with. Mm. And, um, it sort of started to creep into our work and, you know, the, our program is spiritual, not religious. And, I just kind of thought that was a little inappropriate. I didn't love yeah. that. Um, so we stopped working together. And then I had a sponsee who sadly was not ready to get sober. And she went back out. She's reached out to me a couple times since then. And we've like made plans to meet up and she has not shown up, which just makes me think she's probably not ready yet and the desperation and the, the need to surrender hasn't really hit her yet but um it's comforting to know that she's continued to reach out to me when she has felt ready and so um you know I hope she knows I'm always here and still here and if she needs me you know she's got my number hasn't changed so what about you any horror stories no horror stories but I definitely had a sponsorship gone wrong where you know, I haven't, I haven't worked with as many sponsees in my, in my time as I think you have, but, um, I was coming off a dry period where I didn't have a sponsor, wasn't working the steps and was kind of just white knuckling it. Like Mm -hmm. I was still sober, but I guess I wasn't drinking, but I wasn't really actively working any kind of program. Didn't have any spiritual practices that were improving my life at all. And, um, I had a a friend, a mutual friend reach out to her and kind of connect us. And, um, her home group was like very formal and very, like very serious. And that is not my approach at all. And it kind of trickled down because, you know, every meeting is different. Every program is different. Mm -hmm. Every sponsorship is different, which is why they recommend you try so many, but her particular bend towards working the program was very rigid. And um, I think we maybe lasted a week where she, and, you know, I was a few years sober at the time. I was maybe three years sober. And so I didn't feel the immediate compulsion to drink. Like I wasn't like, I need to work this program or else I'm going to go to the bar tonight. It was, you know, I don't feel like I'm my best self right now. I feel like the toxicity of resentments and expectations, like just kind of creeping in. And I would really love 
to rework the steps and get reacquainted with the program and like refresh, like clean house. And she was sponsoring me like I was like, you know, a complete newbie. And it was like, you know, I was in a banking job and had a really hard time moving away, like getting out for lunch. And she was like, you need to go call three people on your lunch break every single day. And you need to text me every single day and all this stuff. And I was just like, I can't, I can't keep up with this. And this Mm -hmm. is not what I need to stay sober. And I was lucky that I was able to see that from a perspective of like, I know when I, at some, some level, I know when I'm just being lazy yeah, and I need to have someone kick my butt. And when I'm genuinely like your level of doing this is overdoing it for what I need to stay sober. And it was at that point that I was kind of like, Hey, can we reevaluate? And we were the same age, which was Mm. hard for me. I tend to work better with women who are older and have more experience and, you know, like we said earlier, they're sober mom. Like I, yeah. I work better with those women and this girl was my same age. And, um, although it didn't matter in the beginning, it kind of, I don't know, it just started to rub me the wrong way when she would like mandate things and not say, this is my suggestion, but like guilt and shame me when I wouldn't do something like, oh, I had a meeting over lunch. I couldn't call three people. Maybe I'll do it on my way home. But like, I don't, I'm not getting anything out of calling random people over and over and over and over again. Like there's something to be said about making connection when you're newly sober and you're really trying to get out there. Like I get you already why, had a network, right? I get why she was doing what she was doing, but I still yeah. had a network that was really supportive. And I felt like I was open and honest with them. Like that wasn't my issue. And um, it was like, she was trying to execute someone else's playbook with me. And And that could be so hard. It was really hard. I remember actually one brunch that you and I had with another one of our sober friends and we all kind of had been in this. It was, I remember it very vividly. We were at Lucky's and uh, the three of us kind of all in this like guilty way. I remember our, our third friend brought it up and she was like, I think I need to break up with my sponsor mm-hmm. and here's why. And the thing is, we, and we had all, we, you and I both were like, yes, break up with her because there's different things that you need at different periods in your sobriety and different like levels of care. And when I, it, and it's sort of like, sometimes you need rehab like inpatient rehab. Sometimes you need an IOP. Sometimes you need a therapist in a meeting. Sometimes you need, you know, like sober living. There's different, when you're first getting sober, there's different sort of arrangements and levels of care that you may need. Same thing with sponsorships. And I feel like there was a time period when the three of us all were being kind of treated like baby alcoholics in with our sponsors, but we were like three or four years in and we were like, professionals who had jobs and spouses or significant others or, you know, like, and it's not to say that we weren't putting our sobriety first because we were, but some of those things we were like, no, we're not going to, yeah you know, and I remember it very vividly it, because there was so, we all three had so much like shame and guilt of being like, if I don't call three strangers every day at lunch, am I going to drink again? And the answer was absolutely not for any of us. We were pretty solid. 
it's, it's hard to accept that, like, not everyone's doing it the, how am I going to say this? Everybody has different ways of doing sponsorship and working the steps and that's okay. As long as it keeps someone sober, that's okay. But just because someone you're just because a sponsor or a temporary sponsor is telling you, this is the way you have to do things or you will drink again. Well, that's then that honestly, that brings up something like I feel really defensive right now and triggered (laughs) to use a millennial word um, because by me good. No, no, no. By the, by the anecdote, because good sponsorship never says that. Right. Like good sponsorship will never say, do what I say, or you're going to drink again. Good sponsorship is like, here's the suggestion based on my experience. And your like good sponsorship is not being your higher power. It's guiding you to find your own higher power. Yes. And, and and when someone says like, do as I say, or you're going to drink again, or what I've heard other women say is they had a sponsor that they're thank goodness no longer with say, well, if you don't need my course of action to stay sober, then maybe you're not an alcoholic. Oh, and that is so so dangerous. (laughs) It's so dangerous. And it's not accurate. Like people of all there are so many different ways to sponsor and there's mm-hmm. a difference. Like I think, especially when you're getting sober and you're stripping away all of those defense mechanisms, you're really in tune with yourself and with your higher power. And, and if you feel like, you know, there's one side of it that I felt that was, okay, this is really challenging and it's really good. And this person makes me feel like I can do it versus this is hard Mm -hmm. and I don't like it and I don't like this person and I don't like the effect this is having on me. And being able to listen to that and say, there are other fish in the sea. Mm -hmm. And I believe in my capacity to show up to a meeting and say, I need a temporary sponsor because I, I need to leave my, my other sponsor. And I need someone who can guide me during this transition or you know, will will be my friend during this transition and get, you know, kind of create a a, a padding, you know, like yeah. when I'm changing sponsors, I'm not just like free falling. I'm going to meetings and I'm talking to friends who right. can provide counsel. You know, it doesn't have to just be a sponsor. Sponsors <laughs> are amazing and integral to my sponsors, my sobriety, but, you know, I I, I kind of pad myself so that it's not just you know, sponsorship or I go back out. Right. There's other tools and, you know, your sponsor should never be your only line of defense against drinking again. But also when, when I hear sponsor people tell me like, Oh, my spot, my old sponsor said this, or I had a sponsor who like threatened like this to me, that's the sponsor making it about them. Yeah. And it's, if someone is going to, the way I kind of approach it as a sponsor is it is not my job to get or keep anybody else sober. That is on the individual. I can't take that on um, because things happen and it's an, it's personal. Um, now it, what is my job is if my sponsee calls me, I answer. If my sponsee texts me, I answer. Um, obviously my sponsee knows that like I am a teacher and I'm working during the day. And she's like, I know you can't respond to this right now, but 
Or if it's like something I need to respond to quickly, she'll be like SOS. But within the boundaries that you have set with her, it's not, We've you're not saying it. that anytime a sponsee calls you, you have to answer, but no. within the boundaries of a reasonable communication strategy, because you're there for your sponsee. And we've set the expectations, right? Yeah. And I would do anything in my power to help her. It is not my job to take the bottle out of her hand. Right. You know, it's, it's not. And that doesn't, because that doesn't create a sustainable life of sobriety. It is my job to tell her, if you're thinking about drinking, please call me or text me or go to a meeting if I don't answer or find a sober friend to call if I don't answer. You know, like it's my job to equip her with the tools and the strategies and the skills and the, the spiritual experience that comes with doing the steps. It is not my job. I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm not Jesus. I can't save her. <laughs> you know, it is not my job to be Jesus for anybody. And I think that when sponsor, I hear people say, oh, my sponsor said this or my sponsor told me to do it this way, or I was going to drink again. I'm like, who are you? Are you Jesus? This has been an awesome conversation. And I love, I love that it. We, we both got like kind of heated at yeah. different points. <laughs> like Molly and I are both very passionate speakers. Yes. And when, when we get on topic, we're like, like I'm getting dizzy from nodding my head and Molly is muting herself and snapping like, <laughs> yes, that is so true. Um, I love the empowerment that we give each other. I do too. And, you know, I think this is such a great demonstration of the power of sober friendships because yeah. I know that like, yeah, if there's some problems that I would call my sponsor with, but other things I would just like be really open and honest with Amanda about. And I think we, that's the power of building that fellowship, right? So it's not just your sponsor is not the only person you have in the program and sobriety who you can call. It's, it's a lot of people. And so, um, this conversation as every conversation we have makes me just mm -hmm. grateful to have you as a friend ditto, and a co-host. Yeah. Ditto. We're doing all it. The, all the things, all the things. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, um, do you want to share an on the beam or off the beam? Sure. On the beam. I had coffee with another sober friend this morning and it was just so great to, um, meet with him. And, um, he's like my AA dad slash grandpa and, um, I love him and it was just really great to catch up with him. So that made me feel really connected to the program and know that I have people looking out for me. I yeah, love what about you? I'm, now I'm thinking of all my, my guys from my 7am meeting that are yeah. exactly like that, that I miss. <laughs> love but them. I love them too. And I see them every morning on, on zoom, but it's just not the same. Not so the same. this has been so great. I love chatting with you Me too. Well, Thanks. we'll do it again soon. Okay. Okay. Well, I love you. We will talk soon. Um, and to you guys out there, thanks for listening. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the Life Not Wasted podcast, click the share button and send this episode to a friend that would enjoy it. Word of mouth is the best way to help us reach new people who may need a little encouragement on their journey. Thanks again for listening, subscribing, and sharing the Life Not Wasted podcast with your people. Talk to you next time.